Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Here we are Welcome. to record a podcast conveniently sponsored by Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming products that I recently used for a purpose other than keeping my nether regions trimmed and taut. Uh, I crashed... I crashed the shit out of my mountain bike yesterday uh, and I did that like two weeks ago and scraped the shit out of my leg and it was all bleeding and gross and I put a dressing on it that was the same dressing I got when I got my tattoo done. So it's like a glad wrappy sticky sealing yeah. one that didn't seal very well because I've got hairy legs. So this time when I crashed my bike, I got home uh, and then before I showered, used my trusty Manscaped lawnmower 4.0 to shave a patch on my knee so that I could effectively create a seal with this dressing. And it was really good for it because it's like relatively small and therefore very precise about the cutting area. And now I have a weird bald patch on my knee that um, is going to look weird for a while, but it's definitely a useful thing to have because having to do that with like a actual razor or a big pair of hair clippers would have been fucked. But yeah. instead you too can crash your bike into a tree <laughs> and be able to shave your own legs using the code PeaksPeak at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Yes. That's PeaksPeak at manscaped.com. There you go. Multiple purpose. You've got the light. You can shine it on your hairy legs. Yeah, effective. Because when you're big like me and you bend over, you block out all of the overhead light that block is shining onto sun. your leg. Amazing. No, not quite. <laughs> Uh, go to Manscaped, buy one of them. Go to Prism, use the code PeaksBeak for some sick coffee discounts. Yes, because who doesn't need more caffeine in their life? Although <laughs> apparently caffeine now really fucks me up. I had this discussion with someone as I watched them drink a caffeinated energy beverage at 5 p.m. last night, who like two or three months ago was like, oh, I'm, I'm off coffee, I'm off caffeine, I'm detoxing. <laughs> and then he came in this morning he was like you were right I fucked up I drank too much caffeine at 5pm at night and I didn't sleep it's bad they do make a decaf though I'm yet to try the decaf but I'm tempted to go down that road so I can drink more coffee without losing more sleep yeah I'm. I, it always blows my mind like leaving the gym at 7 or 8 o'clock and someone rocks up and, and buys a monster or takes a takes pre-workout I'm like when are you going to sleep See, I'd, I used to be that person. I used to drive to the gym at like three and get a double shot flat white and be good to go. And I'd still be out cold by like 9.30. But it turns out that was actually more a symptom of chronic sleep deprivation <laughs> than it was anything to do with my caffeine tolerance. I still maintain it. It's just like you've lost 10 or 20 kilos of body weight. You're probably just actually sleeping better and not dying of sleep apnea without oh, it's, realizing it's definitely a combination <laughs> of the two i think by being much lighter and not being so my neck is trying to kill me at night i'm <laughs> sleeping better but i'm also then sleeping longer as well which i think helped yeah yeah i remember getting my cpap for the first time and it took two weeks to get the pressure right but when i did it was just like god mode engaged no no need for caffeine pretty much straight away 
Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah. That um, it tends to... The, the discussion seems to be very similar between people who've been diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and people who've been really fat and got a CPAP and gotten real sleep. And both both discussions are like, oh my God, I can function as a normal human now and this is crazy. <laughs> it's a double whammy for me. All right, squats. Let's do yes. it. We continue the conversation from last time. So last time we finished up saying that we were going to talk about uh, footwear programming, accessories. So might start with the footwear, um, the whole heels versus flats debate. What Firstly, can we can we just throw out the concept of Converse Chuck Taylors being the best lifting shoe around? Can we just like leave that in the early noughties with the West Side shirts and fucking bodies by a drowning pool? Um, <laughs> Shout out to Tommy for his yeah, story. Holy fuck, but, that's been making me laugh. That's so good. Uh Cause yeah, man, like every power lifter of the early noughties, I was like, ah, oh, fucking all stars. They're the only shoe you should be lifting in completely negating the fact that I've got an incredibly wide foot. And what I ended up doing was blowing the sides out of a bunch of pairs of all stars. Let's just throw them out. They're actually not a very good lifting shoe unless you've got an incredibly narrow foot. I'm surprised because I was a converse diehard as well. And I still wear converse occasionally, but my feet are much bigger than they were five or six years ago. Um, and they don't like Converse anymore. But I'm surprised it took off so heavily in the powerlifting world because the people, the zealots that were preaching it were fucking big fat dudes. Yeah, and you see them like rolling over the sides of the shoes and yeah, it's dumb. I don't know why, I don't know how it became such a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we can immediately sort of say, well, when it comes to spongy runners, anything that... Um, has something in the soul for the purpose of shock absorption cushioning it's, yeah it's it's not going to be good for squatting or deadlifting in uh, squatting in this case of course uh but outside of that it's it's such a personal preference thing like i, I don't really yeah. believe that there's a superior shoe uh no. it, it's just pretty much what do you feel good in where do you feel uh you can not think about your feet so much and you can just perform the squat the way you're supposed to perform the squat um, which is going to come down to, are you balanced? Do your feet move? If you can tick the box in terms of like, I am balanced. I'm not losing stability through my foot. My feet aren't moving around. It's probably a good shoe. Yeah. The guides, the sort of guide I use or give to people as a, as a footwear, you know, choice algorithm, I guess, is to think about like, is it relatively thin and hard so you can feel what's going on? Is it, uh, wide enough that you're not squishing your foot into a weird shape, which was mm -hmm. the problem that so many people, myself included, had with All Stars. Um, and then, you know, does it need a heel? Does it not? That's, again, a, a, a slightly more in-depth discussion. But like you said, beyond that, is it just a shoe that you're happy to wear regularly? And mm. a shoe that you don't care about that much? Because if you wear it to the gym to train in all the time, you're probably going to trash the shit out of it. So maybe don't wear your nicest pair of shoes to squat yeah. sessions or deadlift sessions. But beyond that, um, yeah, like you said, if you're comfortable in it and it feels good, fuck it, go with that. Well, there's something to be said about what you just said in terms of like wearing the shoe all the time as well. The amount, the degree to which mechanically a squat can be affected by a shoe that's worn out in a particular way is actually quite high. So if you wear your shoes walking around at the shops and doing everything and wear them out, like say you wear out the outside of your shoe, which is what most people who do this sport end up doing with their regular shoes, it's actually going to probably negatively affect your squat mechanics. So yes. when, when you select whatever squat shoe you're going to use, try and reserve it for squatting and deadlifting, but, but not like 
your day-to-day stuff, try and have your training shoes. Yeah, see, that's where I've found actually the opposite of that for myself is when I discovered uh, the Vivo barefoot shoes, I like wore them for everything all the time. And they're Mm -hmm. so thin in terms of what's in the sole that the wear doesn't actually affect it that much. Like if anything, the wear is going to affect, you're going to have less grip because that it's like a, you know, it's almost like a semi-slick tire as opposed to like a a thick treaded thing. And um, so I I find like with something like that, you can actually wear it for everything because it's not going to have a significant impact. But if you're like, you do deadlifting in Jordans and they've got like a relatively thick sole on them, seeing that wear pattern develop in the sole that's when it'll have a, a more sure. significant impact on it absolutely but you know you could also be the under nine soccer kid who goes to the shops after his soccer game on a saturday morning in his shin pads and boots and just wear your <laughs> romaleos to the shops oh, um, that's that always cracks me up people walking into the gym in their lifters like oh, oh man you have not yeah. caught the uh, concept of what these are for you're ready to go i used to do that when i first got my do wins I love them so much. I'd put them on and I'd drive to the gym in my do-wins. That does not surprise me in the slightest. And they had the strap. They had the wooden heel. They had a bit of shininess on them. Wooden heels are pretty badass. For sure. For sure. Tell us more about Vivo. A little birdie tells me you can hook us up. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do some sweet plugging. Yeah, so I wear uh, Vivos for basically everything that isn't where I am uh, it's acceptable for me to wear Birkenstocks because it turns out I'm just a middle class hip- hipster now um, <laughs> and yeah I got onto them because I needed a shoe that was wide I wanted like something that was relatively thin because I I wanted you know and this was in my like foot feature behave naturally you know foot exercise phase which I've sort of grown out of but mm-hmm. as a shoe I still think they're really good because they're um they're really wide in the toe box. I have a very wide foot. I am notorious for blowing out the sides of like all stars and stuff like that. Uh, and so it's the first shoe I've found that feels like I'm not stuffing my foot into a shoe. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm just barefoot, which is cool. Uh, I've got two pairs at the moment. And I like they're one of four pairs of shoes I own. I own two pairs of Birkenstocks and two pairs of Vivos, and that's basically all my life exists in these days. Mm-hmm. And they're great. And uh, if you want a sweet discount on them, because they're not cheap, but they are super durable. I'm a very hard wearer on my shoes. Being a big dude, I have ripped the shreds out of a lot of pairs of shoes in my life. These are probably the most long-lasting in terms of what they can put up with and super versatile. Uh, but yeah, go to Soul Mechanics, which is a distributor in Melbourne, and use the code BURLY2602, B-U-R-L-E-Y, and you'll get, I think it's 15% off, uh, which Six. is a nice tidy little discount on a pair of shoes that, you know, I'm not going to say will change your life, but they probably will. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm keen to get some and, and start deadlifting. And I actually bought some, but they were too big, so I had to send them. Yeah, back. yeah, I love them for <laughs> for any training sort of thing. They are, um, yeah, really good. They I beat the shit out of my feet the first couple of weeks when I got them because I went from like a, I think I was wearing nanos at the time, so like a much more padded shoe, and so I just had sore feet for like two weeks because mm. in the typical meathead fashion, I just jumped straight into wearing them constantly for everything. Uh, and yeah, I now literally wear them all the time. Mm-hmm. They're the best. All right. Heel where, shoes. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is where do you stand on heels? Romalias. Yeah. I th- like heels, uh, it's an interesting topic. It's, it, it's really as simple as um, understand what they're doing. 
Now, just yep. understand how they're actually affecting the way that you squat. Um, once all of that is accounted for, it then just comes personal preference. So yep. um, the easiest way to conceptualize what heels are doing for you, imagine you're standing there barefoot, right? Like think stick figure viewing from the side, foot is flat, body protruding straight up from there. If you elevate your heel, your whole body is now leaning forward on an angle. When you elevate your heel, you don't stand like that. You're not leaning forward you counterbalance backwards. So it's shifting your center of balance backwards. So you think the more anterior loaded the squat is, the better this is gonna feel when you perform the squat because it cancels that out. It, it balances the equation. Uh, this is why when you put heels on, you do a front squat or a high bar squat, an overhead squat, it feels amazing. If you do it in flats, it feels kind of shit for most people. Um, the reason why they feel really good for low bar squats for some people is to do with people's ability to control their pelvis, their rib cage, their hips in space. So it comes down to stabilizing. So adding the heel provides a crutch for stability for your posterior chain. And so if you, if you can't control that, shifting more of the demand to your anterior side feels really good. So when people say I can't hit depth unless I'm wearing heels, it's not because the heels are changing anything in terms of the actual movement as much as it is just redistributing things to a point where you can control them. The only exception for that is true ankle immobility, uh, which is very, 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 very rare. Way yeah, more had, rare than people give it credit for. I had this discussion with someone just the other day who is the second person in my entire coaching career that I've ever seen with true ankle mobility restrictions. Mm -hmm. This person has significant ankle mobility restrictions from trauma. Like mm -hmm. it is damaged ankles. My ankles are so... Actually, that's three, I think, in my life. Yeah. Two of them are my ankles are so fucked from external sources that they don't function properly anymore. One of them has truly been my ankles are just not very mobile i mm -hmm. significantly lack ankle mobility i am um, basically echo exactly what you said i th i used to be a zealot for heels being a crutch that you shouldn't need like you should be mm -hmm. able to learn how to squat without heels um i think for a power lifter that probably still has some benefits because it's just improving your control without mm -hmm. environmental constraints but for everyone else and people who are not taking it that seriously if you feel better squatting in heels just squat in fucking heels yeah. like it's i just Absolutely. don't care that much about it i in my yeah barefoot shoes foot nazi era um i don't know why i'm calling it an era it was maybe a year um but uh <laughs> I was much more like, oh, well, your your foot's not functioning how it should. You should be able to do this. And much like a lot of those sort of views, I think what I ended up doing was holding a bunch of people back because I had this emotional attachment to not squatting with mm. heels. Now I'm like, hey, cool. It feels better. Like we've got fucking squat wedges floating around the gym and like yeah. shit like that because it's actually incredibly effective in heaps of different ways. And if it feels good, fucking do it. Yep, 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 yep. And so it... Because it doesn't actually affect the mechanics to a, a massive degree, like essentially the movement's the same. Yeah. If you have this this lack of control, this instability, whatever, putting on a heel is going to actually fast track your control. Like if you can put yourself in a position now that now you can control, and um, you know hold position while you're going through the movement, you'll fast track your ability to perform it without the heel. Once you get to that point, you can perform it without the heel. Then it's just a side by side comparison. It's like yep. give yourself some time in either one and see which feels better, and stick to that the the thing is that once you do have that true control with all things considered if everything's perfect it should kind of feel shit squatting in heels mm. um as in you think when your knee is traveling further forward it's going to take more energy more effort more travel for you to hit depth it's harder to hit depth in a heeled shoe 
um, in terms of just straight up physics. Uh, and so once you do have that control and stability, a lot of people will find that uh, they feel better in a flat shoe. But I mean, like there's no absolutes in this. There's plenty of people that have great control, great technique and perform much better wearing a heel shoe. So. I mean, Dan Green squats in heels and Dan Green's a fucking freak. So let's all just be like Dan Green, except that none of us will ever be. Yeah. If it wasn't enough to just be Dan Green, the other day he posted a photo of him doing the splits. It's like, fuck off. I give up. Not even a photo. Like that was followed by a video of him just sitting in that position, stretching like, oh, turns out Dan Green is not only one of the most muscular dudes I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life, but he's also like really ridiculously flexible and basically still an athlete it is horrendous nothing Uh, makes me feel bad like watching dan green stories (laughs) anyway i think that's enough on shoes yes all right where do we go from here well i think we talked a little bit about uh i believe towards the end of last week's episode about uh variation in bar positioning and its role in accessory work and i think the sort of consensus we both came to was that predominantly we're using it where we want to be able to rate limit your squatting output by giving you just a a variation that forces you to rate limit it so i think talking a little bit more about accessories and uh where the variations and maybe the specialty bars and stuff come in into play are really good uh i as a sidebar picked up a like buffalo bar knockoff the other day not a knockoff but a you know a bent barbell like that uh from goliath that had a they had a canberra only pickup sale and so i scored one of those for the first time the other day squatted with it it feels amazing because i'm not shoving my shoulders into a position that they really don't like anymore Mm. uh but yeah i think having access to a bunch of different specialty bars and environmental changes that we can make when it comes to squatting tasks means we have we're like a little bit spoiled for choice when it comes mm. to using these things to address specific parts of a movement or things like that. So I'm interested to talk about that from your point of view and then maybe I can talk a little bit about how I think about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, but So just like with bench and with deadlifts, the, the zero method is going to be to systematically break down the movement with the understanding that you're only going to fix a squat with a squat. And so, um, you know, outside of cueing the squat itself, my main go-to accessory exercise to fix it is going to be a tempo variation. Um, and for me, the emphasis is on the concentric uh, more than the eccentric, as in like the performance of the exercise uh, normally diminishes in that transition point. Like people hit the whole push and everything falls to shit. Mm-hmm. So the idea of controlling the eccentric, holding position, and then really focusing on holding that while you reverse out of the hole and, and come up um, is super, super, super important to me. Like I, I still have my mind blown by tempo stuff that people claim is working on technique where they just control the eccentric, explode up and just lift like shit. I mm. get that for constraining the movement, for just making it harder and reducing the load. That makes a lot of sense to me. But for the purpose of technique, that just seems ridiculous. So for me, when it comes to actually using this as a as a as um, an exercise to improve the squat, I'm really looking at the concentric. In terms of other bars and stuff like that, I try and avoid bar variations as much as possible and will only gravitate to them with people with really fucked up shoulders. Yeah. Uh, in which case, I actually don't like safety bar very much. I would much prefer someone to do a cambered bar than a safety bar um, just because we can make it a little bit closer to the me- mechanics of a squat unless someone's using like a, um, a transformer safety bar where you can really put the weight in the right position. Safety bars yeah. are a tricky one because... 
A, I feel in general, people use it to justify things that aren't real. As in like, yeah, use the safety bar to fuck your upper back. It's like you feel your upper back doesn't mean it's doing anything that's actually going to be specific to the way that you do a low bar squat. Oh, yeah, it hits your core really hard. It's going to feel your core. It doesn't mean it's going to carry over to your low bar squat. Um, the hard thing for me with safety bars is that everyone's safety bar is so different. Yes. And so like it, it becomes a different exercise. Or if it's super anterior, it's like doing a front squat. So yeah. I, I don't like the lack of control that's involved with with safety bar however um i also have a personal bias because i fucking hate them in general like doing them see which is funny because i love them <laughs> like, <laughs> I, they, uh, I can't do them they fuck my hips up so bad uh i would argue it's because you're bad at safety bar squats but yeah anyway, we'll talk about that later um i just yeah, play so that card on, on anything i don't like yeah no i know that's that's thomas's go-to get out of jail free card i've got bad hips oh, yeah do incline bench press ah my hips yeah not my hips it doesn't yeah. it's the angle the incline the setup's not right the seat height yeah. exactly um yeah no i i love safety bar squats like personally i love doing them like i mm-hmm. i will default to safety with uh, squatting with a safety bar more than I will squatting with a straight bar these days. Um, I love it as a squat variation for anyone outside of a powerlifter because it's so simple. Like you just don't have to teach people how to hold a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I used to be like that. It's their upper back. It's your core thing. It's those sort of things. I've managed to pick up three of basically the same safety bars in my gym, which has been really useful because now it, I am giving people the same exercise yeah. as opposed to it doesn't matter which bar you use. Um, so that's really helpful in that aspect. I use it for, like you, taking pieces of a particular movement and then being able to train them in different ways. So using tempo variations i i do exactly the same i really like controlling the concentric because i want you to be able to hold that shape then i like safety bar variations for forcing you to fight really hard to hold that shape in that midpoint of a squat Mm -hmm. because it emphasizes that a little bit and i tend a little bit more towards that in the off season end of things because it's a good way for people to hammer a lot of squats and really work hard with that i've also recently experimented with like setting a safety bar in a similar position to a low bar and just holding that shoulder mm-hmm. position, not holding the handles. And that is fucking brutal when mm. it comes to holding that shape because you can't use the bar to wedge yourself into that position, but you actually yeah. have to make, like physically hold that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been an interesting exploration as well. Um, it tends to be my go-to sort of... <laughs> amazing. Uh, my go-to bar variation but um outside of that uh now having access to like a buffalo bar i think is going to be really useful for the sort of group of people whose shoulders are not very good at holding a low bar position regularly Mm. um yeah this is this is the thing i really i really don't like to gravitate towards variations that are going to teach people to be bad at areas that they're probably already bad in and this is the irony you see in powerlifting a lot it's like oh my shoulders are bad so i'm going to spend some time doing a safety bar squat this teaches you to be really lazy with your upper back yeah because yeah. you can just rest it there and, and not think about engaging things as much yeah see that's not that. that's not the thought process in my head it is i hey a bit of dog barking in the podcast is fine we're a dog friendly podcast here, i don't know speak. what he wants Buddy, come here shut up relax maybe he wants to be involved in the squatting conversation i'm just gonna leave it up. <laughs> okay 
So we're going to sit here and pretend Thomas is listening to the fact that I'm going to continue waffling about squats. Maybe Sam will cut this bit out. Maybe he won't. We'll never really know. And now Thomas is back, so we'll pretend we said something funny. Uh, so I didn't say anything really useful there, but I just talked to the camera for a <laughs> Sorry. bit. That's fine. Um, no, what I was saying was the way I think about that is not, hey, your shoulders suck, so we're going to use the safety bar to teach you that. It's, hey, your shoulders suck, and so squatting a heap of low bar stuff beats the fuck out of your elbows, 100%. which then inhibits your ability to bench. So what we're going to do is use it as a variation where we can force you to still squat hard and work all the squatting muscles without beating you up. And that's Absolutely. where I think those sort of things have heaps and heaps of value Mm-hmm. and if anything i probably use them more frequently now than i did because in the past it was i was justifying it as targeting a particular part whereas mm-hmm. now for me it's like hey let's just fucking train the squat in whatever way mani- means we can do the most possible squatting with the least impact upon everything else yeah absolutely and that's that's how it should be done um it's because there's so many like coming back to that whole idea of i feel it therefore it's good like if you want if you want to rate exercises in order of how shit they are for addressing an issue in a squat like talking about fixing your brace or fixing your upper back it's specific to the positions that you're trying to fight in the squat and the the torso like everything down the torso only has to work hard to resist the force of the bar when you're more and more on an angle forward and so like the when you're using variations that allow you to stay really upright you're literally just avoiding training that weakness Yep. So if you're, if you're saying my core is weak, I can't maintain a brace and you're doing front squats, you're literally teaching yourself to avoid the positions that you shit at, which is the opposite of training weakness. It's, it's doing the complete opposite altogether. You want to spend more time leaning forward. So don't do a front squat, do a good morning, do an RDL, do a squat, you know, like don't avoid the positions that you shit at if you want to get better at them, get into those positions, train them specifically. Yep um like it's it's as if if that was the way it worked if it was like okay we'll get your core strong by staying upright why would you do a front squat when you could use twice as much weight and do a yoke like why wouldn't you just do a yoke if you want to train the core because that'll fuck you up you'll feel it around your spine have you ever actually loaded 400 kilos onto a yoke though it takes forever yeah, it well, is the most time-consuming <laughs> part of training for strongman is loading plates. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yes. um, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on things like pause squats because I know you are a uh, pause deadlift hater. Um, <laughs> I'm not a hater. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> if there's anything you hate in life, we all know that the top two things are people irrationally doing things and pause squats. Uh, pause deadlift. <laughs> sorry. Um, I couldn't think of a good so second one. It was just the the reason pause deadlifts don't make sense is because you're pausing in the middle of the movement, which by then is probably where you fucked up. Like this is the equivalent of pausing halfway up in the squat. So pausing yep. in the whole of the squat makes a shitload of sense. So when I prescribe a tempo squat, for example, normally it's something like 313 or 312. So three second eccentric pause and then hold that position while you're coming up. So I, 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 I think pause squats are great. Again, it, it comes down to what are you using them for? Why are you stopping at the bottom? If you're stopping at the bottom, are you maintaining position while you're coming back up or are you just letting yourself go to shit when you push out of the hole? Are you just using it to make it hard for the sake of making it hard? Like have a reason that can justify it. Don't just say it improves my technique because you don't know if it improves your technique. You've got no way of checking that. At least have some sort of logical pathway to how this is going to help you. And then, yeah. So, um, you know, people used to do triple pause squats, pause halfway down, pause at the bottom, pause halfway up. Like to me, that's just fucking pointless. Put more weight on and do more reps if you want to make it harder. (laughs) 
Yeah, I um, it, it's interesting you talk about like a three one three or a three two three tempo because I often use the tempo and pause squats as a, as like distinct exercises. By in most cases, I want tempo to be like smooth down, smooth up. So I'm uh-huh. like three zero three zero or you know four zero four zero, and then I use a pause squat where I don't care what speed you're doing the eccentric or the concentric at as long as it's obviously in a relatively good position but i'm timing the pause rather than anything else um because i've found that the in a lot of lifters that tempo down pause and then tempo up actually just ends up being garbage on the way up because they're so tired by the time they get through the pause that that extra three seconds is just bullshit yeah um so yeah it's it's interesting the way you can like I, I think people, when we talk about assistance exercises in a lot of ways, talk about things in in really absolute terms where like this is a good exercise, this is a bad exercise, when actually even something as simple as a tempo squat can be framed in very different ways and can be thought about in very different ways such that you can have a justification for almost yeah. anything, right? Like that's the the interesting thing about all of these is you can tell a lot of stories about why you're using these exercises and what parts they're mm. doing good things for. But um, but yeah, I think some people are perhaps a little misguided in the, the reasoning they're using behind these things. Because I know I was. Like yeah. I, I was 100% like a front squats or hammer your upper back and your core and I spent a lot of time trying to get a clean grip and turns out I suck at them, so I just didn't do them. And Yeah, mm. yeah no, like the the other big thing I'm, I'm always doing is asking myself, okay, this is a good exercise. Is there a better exercise? And if there is, I'm mm. going to choose the better exercise. So for me, like very rarely will you see my lifters prescribed on program pause squats you know, or pin squats or something like that. And it's not to say that those exercises are useless and I couldn't find a justification for them. I'm like, can I do something better? And for me, that's the tempo squat, the way that we prescribe and the way that we think about it. And so like, if I think that this is going to be more effective and I've seen the evidence for that, bearing in mind that I have used those other assistance exercises and programs before, it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to keep gravitating towards that. And that sort of narrows the programming in general uh, because I, I have a, a, a clearer idea of what I know is going to work and can create more predictable results. So like same thing, we can talk about um, pin squats, you can talk about one and a quarter squats, whatever. You can find justifications uh, to make them work, which is great. That's where you start. Is this logically going to help my squat? And then from there is it's like, can I do this in another way? Can I do something different? that I can justify higher than this exercise. If you can, do it. If you can't, keep doing what you're doing. And see, that's where I think, interestingly, you can then also have the other end of that discussion, which is that sometimes training in the slightly less effective way can be useful from a coaching standpoint, especially because it's like, it's variation for variation. the sake of variation, yep. right? Like powerlifting is an incredibly monotonous sport, especially when like you have, you've systemized it down to like, this is just how it works. Like this is yep. our formula. We know it works. It's really fucking boring in a lot mm. of aspects because it's just the same shit over and over and over and over. And so I think as a coach, it's important to have an understanding of how you can take this best practiced option like a tempo squat and then train the same variable in a different fashion because it's a great way to keep people who are not good at seeing the bigger picture interested because you can effectively have three training blocks in a row where you're addressing the same part of the squat but the first one you're doing it with a safety bar squat 
maybe it's a safety bar pause squat. And then the next one, you do it with a pin squat and then you're doing it with a tempo squat. Uh-huh. And you're going increasing that level of specificity, but effectively training the same aspect all the way through while also keeping the lifter engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. Because as a coach, ultimately, that's the most important part. Mm-hmm. The buy into the process is 100% the most important part. Your sets and reps and exercise choice don't mean anything if no one does it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and so um, I think having access to these and, and understanding how they all relate is going to be really important. Hundred percent agree, and uh, like it just it factors into the entire equation in terms of your exercise selection. It's like sometimes better is better because it's not necessarily you know technically the best choice as much as it is in terms of long term adherence and long term performance. You know, there is absolutely an aspect of that. One of the things I ask, especially more experienced lifters who uh, come to me is like, what do you like doing? What are the exercises you enjoy? And in most cases, I'll find a way to put that exercise into the training somewhere where it doesn't drastically decrease the effectiveness of my processes, but it helps the lifter be bought into the process because mm. like, hey, I, I really like that bent over row variation or like whatever it is. So I'm, I'm going to work harder at it and those sort of things that ultimately have such a, a big payoff in the long run. Mm-hmm. I just want to touch on pin squats as well. Like pin squats to me can end up being like the spot press. It's like, the absolute most difficult part to maintain control hold in any lift is the bottom is the end range and so there's very to me there's very little purpose in um, using exercises to fix the main lift that don't address the range um so like if we're sorry to clarify are you talking about a pin squat that is like not quite a full range like you're setting the pins above where you would hit in the bottom position yeah yeah above parallel or just at 90 degrees or whatever it's like to me it's the equivalent of a spotter press it's like everything is going to fall apart in that last inch that you're not addressing so if you're going to use something like a pin squat uh, to me it doesn't make sense in most examples to not be going through the full range so interestingly, I use pin squats and have more recently used them a bit more. I don't use them like that. I use them as a, I want the pin set up so that it's, you hit the pins at the same point you would hit the bottom of your normal squat. And the scenario in which I found it really effective is in drilling into people their control of position on the eccentric portion, which like you said, you can do with a tempo squat and all of those kind of variations as well. The thing I really like about pin squats done this way is that they will hammer you if you're not in the right position. Because as soon as you go to push, you're like, oh my God, did someone fucking glue this to the ground? Because it just goes nowhere. Because it's that dead stop break of the pins that puts you in a position where if you are even just marginally out of the way, you're fucked. And you'll just have no concept of how to continue to push through that. And so it really highlights that. That's where I found real value in them. But again, it's like I'm doing, it's the whole range. Like I want you doing a squat. I'm just forcing you to stop at the bottom in a way that really punishes that particular fault yeah i mean and and by the same token you know without the pin if you're just going down into a pause or the bottom of a tempo squat you can cheat that last little bit you can just drop that last little bit bottom out and then bounce a little bit or you can shift coming out of the pause as well which is really common people you'll see people stop and this is where i see so many people butcher the pause deadlift 
is they pull to mid shin, stop, shift their body weight backwards yeah. or forwards, and yeah. then finish the movement. And you see the same thing in a pause squat. You can just get away with it a bit more in a pause squat because you're coming down, stopping, and then standing back up again. Mm. Uh, but that's that's the bit that you can't cheat in a pin squat. Like mm-hmm. you, you'll go to shift, push, and it'll just go nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think that pretty pretty much gives a, a good broad overview of like squat variations. What what are your other sort of key um, squat accessories? Well, I think like you, I use things like leg press and belt squats as a way of teaching that hip control, training the legs, things like that. Um, I think you need to be doing some form of pretty heavy hinging movements to go along with your squatting but that's also going to go in with your deadlifting as well so Mm. that plays a role um beyond that i'd like it's just mostly squat variations i think there's definitely some value in single leg stuff that for me falls closer to the general health and fitness aspect of keeping you in the sport for a long time Mm -hmm. than it does in addressing specific single leg weakness or anything like that Mm -hmm. it's more for me i've just seen people so many people go through powerlifting that's a predominantly two-legged you know symmetrical sport and just fucking ruin themselves because they've avoided that completely yeah so i think there are aspects of those sort of things that are really useful on days that aren't your main squatting days to help keep your hips fresh and, and those sort of things. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't have anything particularly complex when it comes to those sort of things. Hmm. Now having access to cables and things like that means I'm doing a bit more experimenting with like leg extensions and, and just like more muscle building focused exercises as opposed to strength building focused exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've got any secret sauce when it comes to that kind of stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, for me it's just splitting splitting it into you know the three r- rules that we teach, which is sort of where's the power come from, muscles, legs, and hips, which is around the hip talk stuff. And uh, for me, leg press is the absolute granddaddy of that. I think leg press is probably the best squat accessory exercise besides squat variations themselves um, for the lower half. Uh, for torso stuff bracing again it has to be specific there has to be a forward lean aspect so like you said heavy hinging some sort of rdl a good morning um, anything that involves going back and forth like that it's a big reason why um, you see people who switch to sumo deadlifts and have a very 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 upright position uh, and never do any form of conventional or rdl sort of stuff along with that their squat tends to go to shit after a while because they lose some of that stimulation yeah Uh, and as their leg strength continues to increase which it will at a faster rate than the strength of the rest of the system um, you generally see torso issues upper back issues start to arise and their squat tends to slow down a bit so if you are a very upright sumo puller make sure you are doing some sort of conventional some sort of rdl good morning because it's going to help you sumo a lot as well oh yeah without a doubt um, um, and the third the third rule is going to be the upper back stuff. And I think this is probably the most underrated, underspoken when it comes to squats and the actual performance of the squat. The low bar position is very demanding. It requires uh, really healthy shoulders to pull off and to pull off well. Um, so full range rows, as in like taking your arm back, taking your shoulder back to the degree that it needs to go back on a low bar squat, most lifters cannot do. And if you can't do that and if you can't do it with significant weight, how the fuck are you going to do it with 300 kilos on your back? So get good at doing rows, get doing good at doing them specific to the range, which means taking your arm back really far. Uh, where do you stand on the direct ab work approach 
uh, and like where do where do your views sit on yeah specific ab training as opposed to not like training it as a secondary to yep. a heavy hinge or whatever. Yep. So the bracing is a system, and as part of the bracing system, there is going to be the muscular component, which is going to be ab stuff. I personally think that a program without direct ab training, direct core training, is incomplete. Um, and it's not because I believe that abs are then going to directly influence your core control and stability on a squat, uh, but because they are typically such a neglected area, their strength, their capacity to engage in the bracing system tends to get left behind. Um, and so like I, I look at almost um, it almost as prevention is the best cure kind of thing. It's like yeah, for sure. not having a strong midsection is going to be a problem at some stage. Um, and your ability to make that happen autonomously when you set your brace through that systematic approach, if it's lacking, it, you need strength in that area. The same way we do leg extensions and hamstring curls to strengthen our legs. Like, do leg extensions really help you squat? You know, are, are they specific to the movement? No, but having big fucking strong legs is going to help you squat. Yeah. So interestingly, I, for a little while, like always had direct ab work, but it was almost always in the form of like isometric stuff planks copenhagen planks those sort of things mm -hmm. and it's only recently that i've started re relatively recently started adding more of a combination of their because i i'd sort of justified it to myself in my head as well the role that those muscles are playing in a heavy squat or a heavy deadlift is predominantly isometric they're not producing movement they are resisting it and so we're going to train them in really specific ways to mm. resist movement uh and I certainly think that I now look back at that and think, well, that was probably a slightly narrow-minded way of training things um, and potentially leaving things on the floor. So I've certainly recently been incorporating more like actual, you know, flexion extension stuff, yeah. you know, lateral flexion, things like that. Um, it's definitely not narrow-minded. It's just incomplete. It's like we are yeah. exactly your thinking. We are doing that. It's just we're doing it while resisting this axial load. And you yes. can't you can't make that specific when you're doing a plank. You know? No, no, exactly. And it's not that um, planks are bad. Like I don't mind planks as an exercise. I think no, uh, I and I like I said, I still use all of those variations. I just use them in combination with things like yeah, you know, GHD sit ups and and yeah. knee raises and stuff like that. Because getting the best of both worlds is probably a good thing. And again, from a like back hip health standpoint mm -hmm. as well i think a lot of that sort of stuff has value as well because it's moving people in ranges especially some of that lateral flexion stuff that you just are not going to get in any other aspect of your powerlifting training and and will ultimately lead to issues later on down the track i think there's a lot of value in in keeping that stuff in from a general health and fitness standpoint yeah and i mean like we, we don't need to create any grand illusions around this stuff basically if, if you're picking a, a core exercise and you're unsure if it's helping. If it's not hurting, who the fuck cares? You know, yeah. especially, especially if you enjoy it, if you feel like it's a good core exercise, don't create any grand illusions that it's making you squat magically better. But also if it's not taking away from anything, what's wrong with it? And on the subject of like useless machines that I bought exclusively as a gym flex, there used to be this machine uh, at Elite where I was training in my, early in my powerlifting career that was like a cable, like a pin loaded crunch machine. Yeah. It had like an elbow pad in front yeah, of it. Yeah, those Man, like, ones. That was sick. Yeah, it's like one of those. I just like would like to own not f because I think it would be good for anything, just because it felt fucking cool. Oh, they're sick. The ones that move with you as well are really cool. Yeah, I think this one did. I think it was like your the your hips and elbows yeah. moved. No, nah, um, that's super cool.
Um, One thing I want to address, because I feel like this is a big point of confusion for a lot of people these days, Um, like the the book smart, super nerdy coaching approach these days, uh, that's sort of underpinned by having no experience either coaching anyone who lifts heavy or lifting heavy themselves. will trick you into thinking that you can make massive changes to your mechanics with things like front foot elevated split squats with a six kilo kettlebell and it's not to say don't do that shit because you should do a lot of that sort of stuff it's about understanding what its role is and so like there's a lot of people that will sell you the idea of like you need this movement option you need to have internal rotation through this plane blah 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 so do this exercise because it specifically targets it and all of that will be true the missing piece of the puzzle here is that it, it sort of sells it with the assumption that by doing it, you're actually improving your squat. It's like once you have that movement option, then you need to install that in exercises that again going to then scale up into the squat. Because the way you need to think about this is if you're doing a split squat through the full range with a six kilo kettlebell, who's going to win in a fight between that and the 300 kilos on your back? The 300 kilos wins every time. So it's about yes create that movement option movement options are fucking fantastic we should all be looking to have movement options like dan greens can do the fucking splits it's then how do you control that option when you put 300 kilos on a leg press and then 200 kilos on a pause squat or a tempo squat and then 350 kilos on a back squat how do you scale that up if you can figure that out by doing it through a logical progression like that then it's going to mean something just having the option doesn't mean shit if and just also, having the option worked, all the flexible people in the world would have perfect technique and never get injured and be super strong. And it's just not how it works. But also, you've got to remember that if you're someone who's squatting 300 kilos and you genuinely believe that a six kilo front foot elevated split squat is <laughs> going to make any significant change to your physiology, you are misguided because it's it's a threshold thing. Like you're out, capable of outputting all of these forces. You're not going to make meaningful change to your body with mm. that that significant of a difference. Like you always say, it's if you want to fix the lift, you've got to use the lift. And the same thing applies to the load range. It's mm. why practicing technique with 45 kilos on a squat bar does nothing if you squat 300 kilos. Yes. Because they're completely fucking different tasks because the demands are so much higher when it comes to that high threshold stuff it's you're playing with different different balls in a different game it's a, a, playing with different balls yeah, yeah. it's I it's don't know why I said that. it's so obvious but like again the, these people that are selling it are selling it so well that it's it's hard not to believe um because it, it's a reasonably logical explanation oh, you super can logical. you can look at it and go yep that makes sense to me well, it's just it, in, in the same way that a plank makes sense because of the isometric con- contraction, in the same way that a clamshell makes sense because the glute med does this role for the hip. It's like until we put it all together in the system, it doesn't make sense. Yes. Sweet. I think that's a great place to finish. Me too. Sounds good. Excellent. Uh, we should put up a Q&A post about squats earlier this week. Uh, yeah, that so would be a good idea. So we Q&A for squats <laughs> next week. Because <laughs> if we talk about it Instead on the three show. Hours before. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, yeah, next week right. we'll do some squat Q&As. Amazing. Have Goodbye. Bye.